Hey, my name is Brayden, one of the servant leaders here at Ethos. Thank you so much for checking out our podcast today. We hope you can lean in and enjoy this message. Hey, we're, we are in week two of our series, Disruptive Discipleship, and kind of the whole premise of this series that we, that we kicked off last week kind of stems from this, stems from this, this truth that we're kind of in a, kind of in a season of of our lives, season of the world, so to speak, where, where we kind of have a cri- like a Christian crisis on our hand. And if you're here last week or you're able to watch it or listen to it, you, 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 maybe you remember some of this, but I, I think we have a, a crisis of identity today as it relates to just who a Christian is. What does it really mean to be a follower of Jesus? Like we just, that, that term has been defined and redefined over and over. And there's a bit of a, bit of a crisis as it relates to just what does that really mean? We have a crisis of ethical distinction today. Like not a whole lot different about Christians than the non-Christians, and I think we could define that as a, as a crisis of ethical distinction. And I think lastly, as we, again, as we, as we talked about last week, we have a crisis of our witness, that people don't really care what we say as followers of Christ because they, they see what we do, or they don't care what we say because they see what we don't do. That's a crisis of our, of our witness. And if you're in here today and you're not a follower of, of Jesus, we often say that, and we, we mean this, that that you do not have to believe anything that the person next to you or in front of you believes in order to belong right here. Like we, we truly believe that we're better together, regardless of what you believe. Yet at, the same, in the same, at the same time, in the same breath, we have to say that for, for many of us, we, we, Jesus is, is everything to me. But, but at the same time, for, for those of us who say, Man, I'm, I'm a follower of, of Christ, it, it's important for us to identify, like, hey, but what does that really mean to be a follower of Jesus? And we said last week that we need a disruption of the status quo in our, a disruption to our discipleship. That's, that's kind of what this series is, is all about. Eugene Peterson said it so beautifully when he wrote, quote, Scripture does not present us with a moral code and tell us, hey, live up to this. Nor does it set out a system of doctrine and say, think like this and you will live well. That's not what, that's not what the Bible's all about. That's not what this series is all about. Check this out. He says, rather, the biblical way is to tell a story, and in telling the story, invite. Live into this. This is what it looks like to be human in the God-made and God-ruled world. This is what is involved in becoming and maturing as a human being. And that's exactly what Jesus does in Matthew chapter 5 when he begins this inaugural address to to people. The first time he begins to teach and and it's what's commonly referred to as, as the Beatitude. That's what this series, this eight-week series is all about, is we're going through these eight Beatitudes. And we kicked off last week with the first one, that blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And we identify that this word blessed, which is the word that every single one of these Beatitudes begins with. So therefore, it's important that we understand what this word means. It, it comes from this Greek word makarios, which means to share in the life of God or, or ultimate joy. It's a, it's a happiness without the fault lines of happenstance running through it. In other words, it's a happiness that doesn't depend on what happens to you, but rather you can be blessed no matter what's going on in your life or in the lives of people around you. We identified furthermore that to be poor in spirit literally means to defer our will to the will of God. Maybe some of you remember this, just a kind of a quick review. And then we said lastly that the kingdom of heaven, that those who are poor in spirit, they, they, they receive, they walk in, they experience and get to participate in the kingdom of heaven, which can be defined as life in Christ, participating in the way of Jesus. Now, all of that was just review, all right? That was just last week. We want, just kind of wanted to briefly catch you up because as we're moving forward 
Jim Forrest, he's a, he passed away not too, not too long ago, actually just a few weeks ago now, but he, he wrote a beautiful book called The Ladder of the Beatitudes. If you're kind of interested in maybe studying some of this a little bit further, it's really great. But he talks about how to really understand the other Beatitudes, you've got you to gotta first understand this you got to first understand the blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. This is the way in which we build on our life in Christ and participate in the way of Jesus. So today I want to move a little bit forward as we, as we identify verse 4 and what Jesus is referring to here when he says that blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Now this one kind of right off the bat seems like the most confusing of all of them. Blessed are those who mourn? Like happy are those who mourn, like sharing in the life of God are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. And I want to I title our conversation, if you're taking notes, I want to I talk from a title, A Community of Mourning in a Culture of Pleasure. What does it look like to be blessed as we mourn and to lean into the comfort of, of God? By, by show of hands, how many of you at any time in the last, let's just say three months, have experienced a bad day? Can I see your hands? How many of y'all experienced a bad day? Yeah, like some of you are like, two hands, please. Like I got plenty of bad days on my hands, right? Like I saw somebody back there putting her feet up, right? I said, yep. And, and so we're, we, like we've all experienced bad days. In fact, I kind of, I really like humor. Like I like to laugh. I think it's fun to laugh. Like, who, like if you don't like laughing, like that's just weird to me. And so I, I like to laugh. And so I intentionally try to inject some humor into, into our talks on Sunday mornings. And honestly, I kind of, it was a challenge to find some, some spaces in this message to inject some humor. So, so what I did though, was I came across an article and, and I, and I saved it and, and I saved it several months ago. And, and I want to read it to you today because honestly, it's, it's really about the only funny part in this message today. Okay. So, so, so for nothing else, just kind of just humor me as I read this with you, because I thought this was comical, and some of you are, might not like this as much as I did, but this came from a, a Florida newspaper in 1972, and it says that there was a man, he was working on his motorcycle on his patio, and his wife was in the kitchen. The man was revving the engine, and somehow the motorcycle slipped into gear. Hey, this, this guy, he, he, he was about to have a bad day. <laughs> Since the man still holding the handlebars was dragged through a glass patio door, and the motorcycle dumped onto the floor inside the house. The wife hears the crash, runs in the room, finds her husband laying on the floor in mild pain, the motorcycle laying next to him, the patio door shattered. The wife summons an ambulance, ambulance arrives, transports her husband to the hospital. The wife then begins to clean up the motorcycle mess, pushes it outside, sees the gas that's spilled on the floor, uses some paper towels to clean up the gasoline and throws them into the toilet. The husband was treated at the hospital, was released that same day. After arriving home, he looked at the shattered patio door, the damage done to his cycle. He becomes despondent. He went into the bathroom, sat on the toilet, smoked a cigarette, as you do. <laughs> After finishing the cigarette, he flipped it between his legs into the toilet bowl while still seated. The wife, who was in the kitchen, hears an explosion. Husband screams. She runs in the bathroom, finds her husband lying on the floor. He's burned in areas that we won't mention. The wife then again runs to the phone, calls the ambulance. There's one person who thinks it's as funny as I do. <laughs> the same ambulance crew was dispatched to the same house. The paramedics load the husband on the stretcher, carry him into the street. But while they're walking down the stairs, the paramedics ask the man, how did this happen? 
The man tells the paramedics. One of them starts laughing so hard that they tip the stretcher, dumps the husband out. He falls down the remaining steps and he breaks his arm. <laughs> Just wanted to share that in case you had a bad day. You're in good company. The man in 1972 had the worst day ever. <laughs> like, okay, let's turn to the Bible now. Let's open up our word. Okay. <laughs> We're, we're talking about blessed are those who, who mourn. It's like the worst transition I've ever come up with before. Like, <laughs> I was really struggling this week. I really was. For, for, the, for they, will be, they will be comforted. You know, God shows up in unique ways to those who are going through bad days. Like, he, he really does. And I didn't mean to be all like Dr. Seuss in that moment, but, but he really does. He, he's a good God. And I really believe that even today... If you're going through a bad day, a bad season, a bad year, a bad decade, or maybe you're kind of just carrying some of the, some of the pain that you're seeing others experience all over the world, I, I really believe that if you just kind of open your heart a little bit today, you're going to be surprised by the peace and the joy of God that you, that you can experience. This word mourn, it comes from the, from the Greek word pentheo, which means to be sad or to grieve as a result of depressing circumstances or just the condition of other person, something going on in your life or something going on in the lives of, of other people. And, and maybe you've noticed this before, maybe you've experienced this yourself, I know that I have, that there's kind of generally speaking three alternatives that most of us try to experience any time that we experience grief or mourning or, or sadness. For, for most of us, we tend to just repress grief we kind of brush it under the rug. We don't really want to talk about it. We, we don't really want to feel it, but it kind of creeps up every once in a while, so we just continue to repress it. We retreat from it. We run from it entirely. Maybe, maybe because it's not happening directly to you, and so you'd rather just pretend like it's not happening at all, and so we just run from the grief, or we just resign to it. We just accept it, and we just live in that place of continual grief, continual sadness, and we can't really ever get out of it, sort of like Eeyore, like hanging out under the cloud, you know what I mean? Like just kind of just, just resign to the, to the grief. But Glenda Johnson Medlin, she, she, she's written a lot about, about grief. She's a Christian psychologist. She's actually from my hometown, nonetheless, either. My wife makes fun of my hometown a lot. We were just back there. I make fun of her hometown a lot. And so I'm just sharing with you that the woman that I'm, she's from, she's pretty awesome. So anyway, she, she, she writes this, that the inability to mourn losses appropriately results in depression psychosis, and physical illness. By ignoring grief, we are ignoring the reality and we're forfeiting a piece of our true selves. In other words, she's saying like, we, can't, we can't just simply repress it, retreat, or just resign to it. And a lot of us have kind of been raised, maybe we've been taught to a certain degree that, that your faith can shield you from pain. And it's not true. In fact, if you believe that, you become really disappointed by God. There's a whole deconstruction movement that's happening right now as people are walking away from their faith because of, not just because of this, but in some part, because, because we think that our faith should shield us from bad things happening to us or from bad things happening at all. In fact, this fall, which seems so far away from now, but in September, we're going to do a whole series on, on deconstructionism and, and what that looks like in our own life, how to process through that, because doubting God is not always a bad thing. In fact, doubting God can actually lead to even stronger faith. And that's what it's intended to do. That's what God wants to use it for. And we'll talk about that more in September. But, 
But we got to understand, though, that for a lot of us, we kind of have a, a flawed theology. And I want us to identify just kind of three things that we, that we think, or maybe that we've been raised to, to believe, that keep us from going from mourning to comfort. I think the first thing is that we think that bad things shouldn't happen to, to good people. Like, I hear this one all the time. Like this might be, like, the number one, number one question that people ask in terms of just just consistently, like, like, why do bad things happen to good people? Like, it doesn't make sense. Like, why, why wouldn't God shield us from those things? And I think more, more, more specifically, kind of the day in the era, the society and the culture, the, 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 the nation in which we live, we kind of get spoiled even into expecting that God owes us good things. Like, well, I mean, I, I serve, like, regularly, so, like, like, I don't deserve that. Like, I tithe, so I don't, I shouldn't, Deserve like I don't like God. You owe me something good, and listen. God does intervene. He He does do great things in our lives as a result of our faith. He He really does. And I think there's a lot of things that we don't even see that God does. That that on this side of heaven we have no idea the things that He's been shielding us from. But but sometimes sometimes God intervenes on earth, and sometimes God. Doesn't intervene until, until heaven. In Hebrews chapter 11, some of you are familiar with this. It's, it's oftentimes referred to this entire chapter as the hall of faith. And it's all about these different men and women who by faith experienced some miraculous things that God did on their behalf. By faith, the Red Sea was split open. By faith, people saw the dead come back to life. But then, right around verse 35, it kind of transitions. And the, the author of Hebrews goes on to say, but others then were, were tortured, refusing to turn from God in order to be set free. They placed their hope in a better life after the resurrection. Some were jeered at, and their backs were cut open with whips. Others were chained in prisons. Some died by stoning. Some were sawed in half. Others were killed with a sword. Some went about wearing skins of sheep and goats, destitute, oppressed, mistreated. All these people earned a good reputation, though, because of their faith. So their faith didn't shield them from these, from these bad things, to which maybe you're a little bit like me, and you think, well, that's not fair. Like some people's faith resulted in some miracles here and now, and some other people's faith left them destitute to die. That's, that's not fair. And I'd say, yeah, it's, it's not fair. God's not fair. He's not fair. And you don't want God to be fair. And we don't need God to be fair. That's not what we need. He, he knew that. That's why he sent Jesus. Because if God were fair, we would all have to pay for our own sin. You see, like, that's not what we want. And, 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 and as much as we think, like, but that's, well, then that's something, something about that's not right. Well, just, just hang with me here. Because Paul, who's responsible for about, about 60% of writing the, the new portion of our Bible called the New Testament, in 2 Corinthians 11, Paul begins to outline some really bad days that he had. Like the Apostle, you can read it in your own time, 2 Corinthians 11, but Paul had some really bad days. Not a handful, like, like more than you and I could, 
could ever imagine experiencing ourselves. And then near the very end of Paul's life, many scholars believe this is probably the last letter that Paul wrote in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 18. Paul is writing this young pastor by the name of Timothy, and he says, Timothy, hey, listen, listen. The Lord will deliver me from every evil attack, and he will bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. Well, which is it, Paul? Is he going to deliver you, or is he going to just bring you safely into the heavenly kingdom? To which I think Paul would say, Yes. Yes. We don't don't always know. Now, before you just kind of tune me out and think, this is really discouraging. It's going to get more encouraging, okay? But the second point is, the second thing that I think we have a flawed theology that keeps us from going from mourning to comfort is that we think pain always means that something is wrong. And we assume that if we're going through a difficult season that God must not have directed us to that season or we must, not, we must have done something to deserve being in that season. But James says it like this in chapter 1, verse 2. He says, Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider an opportunity for great joy. I mean, this is one of those verses that like, I never see people live out. Like, I don't live this out. I'm going through some real challenging season in my life. Oh, I feel so bad for you. Like, what can I do? Can I pray for you? Pray for me? No! Great joy! I'm excited about it. Like, who does that? Like, nobody. And I don't think that's what the scriptures are encouraging us to do either. But Paul goes on, or rather James goes on, and he says, for you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to to grow. Now, Now, look at this. Watch this. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you're gonna be perfect and complete, needing nothing. You see what James is saying here is that that whether we like it or not, God is a developer. Like he, he wants to develop your faith. He wants to develop your character. In fact, God is more interested in your character than he is in your comfort. And before you judge God, parents, you're the same way. It's the reason why when your kid doesn't want to wake up and go to school in the morning, you walk into the room and try to wake him up and you say, Johnny, Johnny, wake up. Wake up, son. I don't want to wake up. It's comfortable here. No, wake up. I'm not going to school today. And then you, then you change your tone of your voice. You are going to school today. <laughs> you, no, you absolutely are. Why? Because you know. You, you know that it's good for him. It's not comfortable for him, but it is, it is good. It's, it's growing and building their, their character. And here's, here's the idea here, that if you dismiss grief... If we dismiss it, if we ignore it, if we turn our, if we retreat, resign, or if we, if we, if we just, if we just dismiss it, you, you forfeit growth. You forfeit the growth that God desires for your life. Rick Warren, someone who I, I really look up to, I think Rick Warren is one of the, the legends in the church today, like one of the living legends, and he pastors Saddleback Church. Some of you are familiar with his book, The Purpose Driven Life, but, but in 2013, maybe 2014, he lost his son by suicide. And he, and he talks about the stages of grief that he experienced. And he used some of his own words. So these are Rick Warren's words. So I didn't come up with this. And he, and he, he says it like this, that he, he experienced shock first. As, as, as you know, if you ever experienced some really traumatic grief, you, you, you don't want to believe it. And then he experienced sorrow. Like it, he, kinda, he realized like this is real. It's actually happening. And there's a deep sadness. And then struggle. Like, he began to fight back against God. Like, God, why would you allow this? God, why would you do that? It was his struggle. And he talks about how he wanted to stay in that space. He wanted just to keep struggling with God until eventually he realized, like, if I don't move forward, 
I'm gonna, if, if I just dismiss this grief, I'm dismissing growth. And he said eventually he got to the place where he just forfeited and he, he said, I just surrender to God. All right, God, I don't understand it, but I'm, I'm gonna surrender to you. And he said, then he began to sense sanctification, which is a churchy word that just means that God started working in him to become more and more like Jesus. We did a whole teaching on this back in the fall. And you can, you can I think it was called let, how to work out to let God in. I think that's what we called it. You can look at what that means to allow the sanctification process of God to take place in your, in your life. And he said, eventually then it led to service. Rick Warren today is, he's, he's, I mean, he's arguably one of the most well-respected pastors as it relates to talking about mental and emotional health. And it's because of what he went through, that his, his, his pain led him to, to service, led him to growing, to becoming what God wanted him to do with it. Now, just hang with me, because we're, we're going somewhere here. We're kind of, this is all in steps and in stages here. But, but the third thing is that we think we know what's best. And this keeps us from going from mourning to comfort. We, we think we know what's, what's best, don't we? Like we just, we kind of, like God, I'm telling you, like if you did this, like it would work out better. And God's like, no, no, I'm telling you. Like I, but we, but that's how we operate though. I do it all the time. Like I, I think I know what's, and, and you don't, and I, and I don't. That's what it looks like to actually surrender. That's what we talked about last week. God, not my will. I want, God, I really want your will to be done. I, that's what it looks like to be poor in spirit and to offer our lives as a surrendered life to, to God. This is what Isaiah says in chapter 55, verse 8. He says, this plan of mine is, it's not what you would work out. God's saying, like, what I, what I have planned is not what you have planned. Neither are my thoughts the same as yours, for just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than yours, and my thoughts higher than, than yours. Now, before I get to that, just... Just hang, hang with me. Mature people who go from mourning to comfort, they know this. They, they understand that there are some things that they just don't understand. There are other things that God does reveal to us. And through his spirit, he makes clear to us. But there are some things that we just don't understand. I think the hardest thing for me personally, and maybe other pastors might say something different, but the hardest thing for me within my vocation is, is, is walking through through like death with people, as loved ones pass away. And I've, I've been in hospital rooms, in people's homes, where their loved ones have breathed their last breaths. And I've, I've seen that transition. And it's a really hard thing, but, but none of it's harder than when the person is really young that passed away. You, you know exactly what I'm talking about. And I remember it was in 2011. I got a call. And it, it shook me pretty good. I, I didn't know the family. I didn't know the we were pastoring at a, at, a, at a larger church. I didn't know this family. I hadn't met them before. And I got a call that I needed to go to the hospital to be with this family who, who was about to give birth to a baby and there was some real complications in the last month and, and, and they had to do some procedures on the child immediately after the baby was delivered. And within, within the first six hours, the child's chance of living was less than 5%. And, and I was there when the child was born, they did a couple procedures and they realized pretty quickly there's nothing that we can do. And so they brought the baby back into the room to be with the mother and the father and the, some of the loved ones were around. And, and I had no idea what to say. I had no idea what to do. In fact, I was like 28 years old at the time. Like I just, why am I here? I don't know what to do. And I, and I remember being in that moment and my, and my daughter was only a couple years old and I just thought, man, this is, 
this is really heavy. And the child eventually passed away. And, and I remember going to God just saying, God, like, this doesn't make sense. Like, I, I went, and I, I mean, I prayed for the baby, and I prayed for the family. We were believing for a miracle. And I remember it was shortly after that that I came across this verse that I had never heard before. I'd never even seen it before. I'm sure I'd read it at one point, but it never resonated with me. It's Isaiah 57. It says, good people pass away. The godly often die before their time. And the verse goes on to say, and no one seems to understand that God is protecting them from the evil to come. God, I don't understand. I don't understand. But like, you're going to use this still, aren't you? Like, God, you didn't cause this, huh? But you, but you are going to use it. God doesn't cause the evil. No, no, no. Every good and perfect gift comes from, the, comes from above. Like, our, our, our God, he's a caring, loving, heavenly father. And as such, though, he will use the trauma in our life. He absolutely will. He doesn't, God doesn't waste anything. He's like your mom or your dad who made you eat everything. You know what I mean? Like, we don't waste nothing in my home. Like, like I grew up with, with five other siblings. Like, you ate what was on your plate, you know? And, and God, he doesn't waste those seasons of your, of your life. He, he doesn't cause it, but, but he, does, he does use it. Okay, so, so now I want to transition here. So, so then practically, how do we receive God's comfort? Like, how do we then fully go practically from mourning to receiving God's comfort? Well, here's kind of the, here's the, here's the verse that I think outlines for us so beautifully. Paul is writing in 2 Corinthians 1. He says, Praise be to the God, of, God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion, and the God of all comfort. You've got to remember that. He's the God of all comfort. That's, that's our Heavenly Father right there. Who comforts us in all of our troubles so that, here it is. This is what Rick Warren was talking about when he says service. Went from surrender to sanctification to service. So that we can comfort those in any trouble with the same comfort we ourselves received from God. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. Just as we experience some pain in this life, so also we experience comfort through Christ in this life. And this is what I mean when there's a, a crisis of ethical distinction today. Like we don't, I think Christians don't go through, we don't know how to go through pain and grief and mourning any different than the way that the rest of the world knows how to go through pain and grief and mourning. But there's, there's something different that we can experience. There's a, there's a comfort that we can draw from that the rest of the world just doesn't, they can't relate to. John Maxwell, I heard this story not too long ago where, where somebody asked John Maxwell, who is widely considered to be one of the greatest business evangelists in our world today, and they said, John, what makes you so good at reaching people and sharing the gospel? And he said, oh, it's easy. He said, because for me, all I do is I just say, oh, man, I know what you're going through. And I mean, I, I've experienced that same thing. I, and I know what you're going through, but man, I just wish you had my peace. I just wish you had my joy. I've been there. I know exactly what you're, I just wish you had, I'm going through that same thing, brother. I just wish you had my peace. I just wish you had my joy. And what John is saying is there's a, there's a distinction that I experience. And I, can I share that with you? Can I share with you how you can experience the same peace that I'm experiencing? How you can experience God's blessing in spite of your circumstances? 
And Paul goes on then in, in verse 8, and he says, For we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles, the troubles we experienced in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure. Like we couldn't do it on our own. So that we despaired of life itself. Paul is literally saying, some scholars believe that Paul was saying here, like, like I, I was ready to take my own life because I, I couldn't endure it any longer. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death, but this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He has delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us again. On him we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us as you help us by your prayers. Then many will give thanks on your behalf for the gracious favor granted us in answer to the prayers of many. So here it is. Here's kind of the three things. We're closing right here. I'm going to go through these pretty quickly. First one is, how do we receive God's comfort in mourning? We've got to refocus on what's happening in me not just what's happening to me. And this is what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 1, verse 9, where, where he says, but this happened so that we might not rely on ourselves. God was doing something in Paul. There was a grief that Paul was experiencing. There was a mourning that Paul was, there was a trial that Paul was experiencing. And, and no doubt he wanted to retreat from it. No doubt he didn't want to have anything to do with it. But because he leaned into the comfort of God, God, God was saying, look, no, I want, I want to teach you something in this. I, I, I haven't caused it, but I, I do want to use, I do want to use it. And so the, the idea that if something is happening to me, God wants to do something in me. God is a developer ethos. Like, we got to get this right here. Like, he, if something's happening to you, God wants to do something in you. Even if that thing that's happening to you is a result of a decision that you made that you realize on the back end now that it was, bad, it was a bad decision, God will still redeem it because he's the God of all comfort. He's our heavenly father. He wants to even take the things that we did on our own, that we caused, that we're responsible for, that when we say, God, I, I realize now I want to surrender to you. I realize now that what I did was not what needed to be done. God said, I'm going to use that then. I'm going I'm to work, I'm going to do, I'm going to, I'm going to do a work within you here because my pain is either a jail that imprisons me or it's a school that shapes me. And you choose, we get to decide. The second thing is that we, we got to remember that God always delivers. He always delivers. So what he says in verse 10, we're where it says that he has, God has, he has delivered us, he will deliver us, and he will continue to deliver us. He has, he will, and he will continue to deliver us. The best predictor of God's future faithfulness is God's past faithfulness. To have trust that God will continue to deliver you simply just says, I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna look back, I'm gonna remember that, that God has delivered me. I, in the last year or so, I, I kinda got into, I was kinda late to the party, but I, I got into, into Marvel and all of like the Avenger movies. And, and as I was watching these, like, like I have Disney Plus, and they, they were all already out. Like they were, like the, the whole set was like out. And so don't judge me, but like I binge watched some of these things. Like, like I remember like when I first got COVID, November of 2020, like that was like, I was like, well man, I'm just gonna watch Marvel. Like, 
quarantine in the basement, Marvel. And so I, I just like binge watched like six of these things. And, and every single time that one of them would end, I would always wonder like, I wonder if they're going to make it out okay. And then what I would do is I'd go to Disney Plus and I'd just start skipping forward and I'd see that there were more movies to come. Like a whole lot of them. And now there's like TV series with the same characters who almost died. Who the cliffhanger was that they were about to die. And I thought, why am I wondering if they're going to die when I can see that they have not died? <laughs> you can turn to the last book of the Bible. In fact, it's the second to last chapter in the book. Revelation 21, and we can see how this thing turns out. And so if you ever wonder, will he continue to deliver us? Just go to Revelation 21, verse, verse 3, where the apostle John, he begins to have this, this revelation of what's to come. And he says, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them, and he will be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things, now it's, it's done. It's passed away. This is what Paul was talking about when he was writing that letter to Timothy in 2 Timothy 4, verse 18, where, where he says, like, like, so is he going to deliver me now or is he going to deliver me then? Yes. Yes, he, he's, he will. He will always. But when's it going to be, Jordan? I don't know. Nobody knows. And so as much as we want to try to figure it out and and there's going to be even a tendency right now as things just kind of continue to heat up in Ukraine. There's going to be a tendency for us as Americans to do one of two things. To either resign to it all and just get sucked into the grief and the mourning of what's going on. Or to retreat from it all. I'm just going to ignore it and pretend like it's not happening and not watch any of it. And both of those things are bad. Neither one of them, neither one of them is good. There's a third option which is to recognize that the opportunity that we have is to see what's going on as followers of Jesus to say, okay, God, what's my part in this? And to recognize that you might have two parts. You might have, who knows how many parts? I don't know, but I would, I would eventually say that you at least have two parts. I'm going to give to the relief efforts that's going on over there, and I'm going to pray for the relief efforts that are going on over there. I'm going to do that. I'm going to guard and shield myself, and I would encourage you and we have to be encouraged by this, right? And we need to encourage one another as well. Like, don't get so sucked into it that all you do is just watch stuff all day long. Or you, like, like recognize, like, okay, where am I right now? Like, I, do you know what I'm saying? Like, you can become so overwhelmed by it. The next thing you know, like, all I'm doing, I'm spending like three hours a day just watching all of this sadness. Like, no, no, like, be aware of it. But then do something with it. Don't just... Don't just resign to it entirely. You see what I'm saying here? But, but know that in the end, it all, it all works out. Like it, it really does. And the third thing is, how do we receive God's comfort in mourning? We gotta rely on relationships. This is, this is important. This is what Paul said. This is why relationships matter. He said, as you help us by your prayers, then many will give thanks on our behalf for the gracious favor granted us in answer to your many prayers. You helped me by praying. We've got to rely on relationships. Like, this is why groups are so important. Like, we don't just do small groups just because we're like, well, I guess we're just, well, we've got nothing else to do through the week. Let's just do small groups. Like, no. It's because they really matter. 
groups are still open right now, by the way. Like we keep, we keep group registration open for the first three weeks as groups launch. And then we close it down intentionally because, because we want to build like long-term relationships there. And so we want to encourage you to kind of get involved in it early so that you've got like the full 11, 12 weeks to engage in those relationships. But, but just as important getting involved is here, actually here's my, here's my weekly practice for us this week is you go to your small group Maybe even just as you're hanging out in the foyer today, exchange numbers. Like, get somebody's number. I know that sounds so practical, maybe not even spiritual. I think it might be the most spiritual thing I've said all day. Like, get somebody's number and follow up with them and you, and then follow up with you and, and share prayer requests with one another and be vulnerable with each other and actually lean on one another and encourage each other's faith. One of my favorite scriptures, you probably heard this before. Psalm 34, 18, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted. And here's why relationships matter. Because if God is close to the brokenhearted, then I want to be close to the brokenhearted too. Because God wants to use his body today to do the work on the earth that he wills to do. Christ has no hands but yours. Christ has no feet but yours. I don't know who said that. I forget, but I didn't come up with it, but it sounded really good right there. It just came to me. But that's, it's like we've got to rely on relationships. They're, they're important. So blessed are those who mourn, for they're going to be comforted. They're going to be comforted. So I want to close with this. So what does it really mean to be, what's this word comforted mean? It comes from this Greek word, panakalene. Again, who knows if I said that right? It just simply means to be comforted by way of finding an ally or helper, to exhort or to encourage. Do you see this? To be comforted means that we found an ally, we found a helper. And sometimes that's just the presence of God, sometimes that's a relationship with people around us. But that's what it means to be comforted, to then exhort or to encourage. And here's what I believe that God is saying. I've just been, I was praying this week, Lord, I just, there's a lot going on. I changed my message sort of last minute and so Lord there's a lot going on in our world today like would you help us just speak to that today like some heavy stuff and I don't want to just be a church that just kind of becomes like a country club like we just kind of do our thing in here and forget that anything else is going on out there like Lord what's going on like like speak to us like give us a word today and I felt like this kind of to close out like I felt like this is just what God was saying Like God said, hey, we got this. Hey, we got this. And I thought, well, God, like, wouldn't it be more like, like, you just say, like, I got this? He says, no, 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 Jordan, like, son, like, we got this. Like, I'm going to carry a bigger load than you, but, like, there's some things I want you to do. But, Jordan, hey, listen, listen, listen. We got this. And so if you're going through a season right now of mourning, of grieving, I want to say to you, we got this. Like, we got this. Like, if, if you need prayer, we want to pray with you. We got this. If you need resources, we want to resource you. We got this. If you're just struggling through kind of some habitual things that you just can't seem to break, but you're ashamed to talk about them, you don't need to be ashamed. I think the, the church is best described as a hospital for sinners and a mirror for the saint. 
Like just hold up the mirror of the word of God for the saint, the person who thinks they're so self-righteous. I think that's what the church, I think that's what the church should look like. Hospital for the sinner, a mirror for the saint. And I think that should be our new tagline, actually. Like we we got this. And so don't try to do it alone. Because I really believe that God calls the body, his body, to come alongside you so that you can experience his blessing which is life in Christ, sharing the life that God intended for you to share with Jesus and with the community of Jesus. And that's the church. And so the word today, I just believe it's just God is saying, hey, hey, we, we got this. We got this. Some heavy stuff going on in the world. Some heavy stuff going on in your life. And none of it's too small for the care of God. None of it's too big for the strength in the arm of God. We got this. Do you hear me, church? We got this.